Thanks, Sheila. Welcome back. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, once again, I want to encourage you in July to take time to join our journey onward. It's one hour after service. Uh, twice a year in January and July, we will have just journey onward, which is really a snippet of our vision. The three Latin words, the core values, were derived from our vision. All right. And we are just constantly trying to use this journey onward platform uh, to remind us of what we are really about what did God call us here to do. And so I encourage you all to um, set time apart, aside to, to, to join the journey onward in July. Okay, our series, So Great a Cloud of Witnesses, part two, right? Part one was last year. And the idea of this series is that we through the lives of ordinary men and women in Christ, we want to see how is it today live out a life for Christ. And uh, so this series, of course, we started with the book of Daniel, Daniel himself, the first Sunday, and then we went off for the retreat. Um, the retreat videos are on the YouTube, and so if you missed it, I encourage you to go and listen. We have had uh, many feedbacks during this retreat that it was, the messages were good, and so uh, it's online. Go ahead and uh, go view it. Secondly, there, we also, every series, we also add, uh, include a woman, right? Um, from Pastor Goffin, she preached on Fanny Crosby. Because when you look at the church, the history of the church, especially the early church, you know, many of those who were used by God to build the church were women. And they played a big role in the formation of the church. Apart from that, every series I also make sure to include an Asian. Last year was John Song. This year we talked about Wang Mingdao. Uh, just to realize that really our faith is a global faith and how God has been using um, the Asians really to bring about a revival in recent times. In fact, now we look at the last 10, 20 years, where God is working is in the Middle East. And I feel like, you know, as the church, through the gr church growth through the centuries, uh, in different seasons, um, God used different groups of people. And I think we are in this season where to, to be able to, it's a privilege to be able to witness how God is using the Asians uh, to bring this gospel back uh, down to the Middle East and back to Jerusalem. Finally, um, today we'll end with... Uh, uh, this person called George Furwer. Initially, I planned to do a, a talk on William Borden. But then, you know, I visited a, one of those, um, those boats by, uh, from Operation Mobilization. And I heard about this person, George Furwer. I got interested. And then the following week, I had lunch with a few people, a group of people uh, like David Wong, Edmund Chan, you know, all the spiritual leaders. And they shared the story about how George Furwer impacted their lives. Because at the time, I think George Fervor just went home to the Lord. So it got me interested and I changed my topic to him. Okay, so who is he? What did he do? Let us listen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that once again, you pour forth the love of God abundantly in our hearts that we'll see Christ lifted up. And Lord, you'll be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. An 18-year-old college student, he was praying with his roommate. They had just finished and his roommate said, so are you ready? Let's go. And he was shocked because they had just finished praying about it and his roommate had just shared with him this idea. That is to sell everything they had, to buy a truck, fill it with Spanish Bibles and then drive it down to Mexico City to give them out. They had just learned that 70% of people in Mexico City at the time didn't have access to the Bible. So this young man said, George, he said to his roommate, he said, George, you know, you just shared this idea with me and we just prayed about it. I think we should wait 
I think we should plan. I think we should be careful. But George Fervor replied, he says, why should we wait? We see this need and we know that we can fulfill this need. So we should go ahead. George Fervor, Fervor, he later went on to find this, uh, start this organization called Operation Mobilization, one of the most uh, influential organizations in the 20th century for Christ. If we include long-term missionaries, short-term missionaries, in their period of time, they sent out the most missionaries. Forward says, we who have Christ's eternal life need to throw away our own lives. The only time he felt comfortable was when he was stepping out of his comfort zone. The only time he felt secured when he was when he was risking everything for Christ. And one of his ideas was what I shared. These uh, gospel ships. Logos Hope is a smaller one. They would go to different countries, dock there, sell books and give out the Bible. And you know, Logos Hope was in Singapore recently. I think a month ago. So I brought my kids to go up the, the, the ship to take a look. And after they got up, you know, they looked at me suspiciously and they asked, Dad, are you trying to brainwash us to become missionaries? Now, how would you answer? Actually, my children, quite bad. Of course, I always confuse them. So I says, no. You know, I'm waiting for you to buy me a big mansion. I want you to be a millionaire, not a missionary. Wrong M, you know. And then they, oh, they were a bit shocked. They said, oh, okay. So, you know, that's what you want. <laughs> um, you know, what I didn't tell them is that actually when um, my wife was pregnant with them, we had already asked, put them on the altar for God, you know. But I think... All of us ought to put our children on the altar, right? It's not that we wanted to be missionaries or pastors, but actually, our children, they don't belong to us. We are just stewards. Anyway, George Furwer, um, this international director of IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, said this of him. He says, in terms of the sheer range of activities and agencies and leaders is spawned, I think OM is unparalleled. Thanks, Zoe. And I think George is the preeminent North American missionary statesman in the last 60 years. He has had a remarkable ministry. She wants to be put on the altar, okay, Gladys? So remember, do that. All right, so this was George Fervor. But why? Why was he able to impact so many people for Christ? Why was he able to live a poured out life? That is what I would like us to consider today. From Matthew 26, verse 6 to 13, we'll see two responses or attitudes towards Christ. Secondly, Jesus' response to the situation. And finally, our choice today. Two responses to Jesus, but more importantly, what was Jesus' response? And finally, our response for today. Verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of a Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster veil of a very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Why did she do this? Who was she? But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and then money given to the poor. Oh, the disciples, plural, not one, a few of them, or maybe all of them, I don't know. But many of them, they were indignant and said, Why, why are you so wasteful? Why did they respond like that? The Gospel of John gives us more details. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. 
Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Clearly, Lazarus' family knows Simon the leper, and so they were helping out in this meal. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And so the person that anointed Jesus was Mary. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? So, earlier we see a lot of the disciples were indignant, say, why waste? But out of them, there was this one, Judas, the one that was going to betray Jesus. Say, why do this? He said this not because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put in it. I guess Judas was probably more educated. You know, he was more financially savvy. So he took care of the money box and he was stealing from it. And so he was not because he was concerned for the poor, but he wanted, it affected him. And how much did the, the perfume cost? 300 denarii. That's the cost of one slave, the cost to buy a slave, or the, the average yearly wage of ordinary worker. One year of your salary. Okay, so it's expensive perfume. Now, what was Mary doing? What did this perfume represent? You know, at that time, as a woman, to have security or some position or recognition, you have to get married. Not only have you get married, then you have to have children. So, this perfume was not ordinary perfume they used to anoint their guests. It was an expensive kind, the kind that they would keep for their dowry, which means Mary was giving up everything, that her life to Jesus. The perfume represented all her hopes, security, and a future. She was willing to break it and pour it on Jesus. Why? Why did she do this? We often hear that Mary would sit at the feet of Jesus. What was she doing at the feet of Jesus? There was a Jewish saying at the time, let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis and cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. Because they don't wear covered shoes everywhere they walked, you know, by the time they go to a house, it'd be covered with dust. And so when you sit at the feet of the rabbi and taste their dust, not taste their dust, cover yourself in their dust, you're listening to their teaching, you're obeying their teaching. And so Mary spent time listening to Jesus. And when Jesus says, I was, I'm going to die when I reach Jerusalem, she heard it. She didn't understand why or how it would happen, but she heard it. And so she was willing to break what was most precious to her to prepare Jesus for his burial. But what about his disciples? They followed Jesus for three and a half years. When Jesus says, when I reach Jerusalem, I'm going to die, how did they respond? I mean, they were fighting who would be on his left side and his right side, right? It's as if they didn't hear what Jesus was saying. And Judas here, right after this incident, he went out and betrayed Jesus for 300 denarii. It's the exact same amount. They didn't seem to hear Jesus. And so what we see here, there are two responses or attitudes towards Jesus. One would say that whatever I pour onto the Lord is worth it. And the other would say that it is a waste. You know, in 1956, there were five missionaries who went to Ecuador to reach out to a group of tribal people who have no contact with the outside world, and they were martyred. This news shook the US government, and so they sent out their military, a whole platoon, to recover the bodies of the missionary. 
But some in the country, some religious leaders were saying that this is a waste. The five young men who could be greatly used by God had they stayed back in the US. Had they prayed about it more? Had they planned carefully? Now, is it a waste? After their martyrdom, there was a surge in applications in those mission organizations. People wanted to step forth to replace these missionaries. In fact, there was a statistic. Within the first six months of their martyrdom, 600 new missionaries said that they are applying to be missionaries because of the testimony of the martyrs. And so we ask ourselves, those five lives, were they a waste? It really depends on how you see Jesus. I mean, we have limited time, time spent on people, walking with them in their grief, counselling them, mentoring them. Is it worth it or is it a waste? Or this year, right, we haven't gone holiday for a long time, so we have revenge holidays. But then there's also church retreat, so how do we choose? Or money, do we, when we're willing to use it to support somebody, to help someone in need, or do we keep it to ourselves? Now, I'm not saying that if you make either choice, it's a wrong choice. My point is not the choice you make, but your motivation. Why are you doing this? What you do for the Lord, do you think is worth it? Or do you think it's a waste? Why would Mary Paul the ointment unto Jesus? Actually, the Lord gave us an answer. Matthew 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, hid it again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Following Jesus, the gospel, it's like this treasure. It's like the pearl of great price. When we find it, you realize that everything else in your life pearls pales in comparison. As Jesus, our great pearl. Friends, what is your bottle of perfume? What is most precious in your life? Your children? Your desire to have children and be married? Your career? The business that you have started? your desire to be recognized, your desire for comfort. Are we willing to crack that bottle and pour its content onto Jesus? Greg Levingston, he studied his college in Wheaton. At that time, George Fervor was also a student there. They were classmates. And they were there slightly a few years after the martyrdom of the five missionaries. A number of them, including Jim Elliott, Nate Said, Ed McCarley, were graduates of Wheaton. And so Livingston shared. He said during those years, there was this wave of uh, missions. Many people were stepping forward. But for me, you know, missions uh, is a foreign idea. It's for someone else to do. My only ambition is to become a successful attorney. But one afternoon, I had nothing to do. Someone invited me to a little gathering. And I thought, you know, these sort of Christian gatherings, they're usually food like pizza and drinks. And being a poor student, I wanted the free drinks and food. So I went, and there was no drink, no food. It was just a bunch of people crammed in that room, praying over a world map mounted on the wall. 
They were praying for God to raise laborers to send out to these countries. Then a young, skinny man walked towards me, and I thought, this must be George Furwer. I've long heard about his reputation. So I stuck out my hand to, to give him a handshake, but instead, he poked my chest with his fingers and he asked me, which country are you praying for? He growled. I, I was shocked and I panicked and I whispered, uh, what leftovers do you have? And he thundered. He says, well, you can pray for Libya. And I thought, which South American country is Libya? But you know, it's not in South America. It's an African country. He says, I didn't know anything about Libya, but I spent the next five hours praying for that country. And it changed my life. When I came for this meeting, my only ambition in life was to become a successful attorney. But after praying for the country, I heard God say, I want you on my team. I want you to go. Go where? To Libya. To his credit, Greg Livingston spent his next 50 years serving the Lord. He started an organization called Frontiers, which sends uh, missionaries to places where no man has gone before. You know, not Star Trek, but places where they've never heard the gospel before. Why was George Fervor able to impact his life? He said, you know, I spent one day with Fervor and he changed my one life. So we asked, you know, why is he able to do that? Why was he able to impact other people? Because George Fervor did not hold anything back. Everything he had was on the line. He says, we have eternal life. It belongs to Jesus. So friends, we, I ask, what is our bottle of perfume? What's most precious to you? You know, if we keep it in the bottle, our gifts, talent, time, money, children, life, it remains in the bottle. But when we break the bottle and pour it out to live a life unbottled, that would last into eternity. That's why Isaac Watts' song. For the whole realm of nature, mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Since even I own the whole world, it's too small a gift for God. Because His love is so amazing and divine, I need to give Him everything. And it's not about becoming missionaries or leading great organizations. It's about impacting the people God has placed around us. Understanding what God has given us and pouring out onto others to live a life unbottled. There are two responses to Jesus. I think But what's more important is how did Jesus respond to them or to the situation? Verse 10, But Jesus, aware of what they were thinking, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed. Then he gives us three reasons why what she did was good. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, Jesus is not saying the poor is not important. In Deuteronomy, the Bible says, For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother and your needy and the poor in your land. Means there will always be poor people in this land and you must be generous to them. So Jesus is not saying the poor is not important. He's pointing out to the fact that in the time in history, something unique is happening. Jesus was not going to be there always. 
and you ask them, do, do you, did you listen carefully? She says, when she poured out this perfume for my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of her in her memory of her. Till today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Mary spent time at the feet of Jesus and she heard Him. She heard Him says, tomorrow I'm going to Jerusalem. At Jerusalem, I'll, I will die. She didn't understand how can it be, but she broke what was most precious to her. She obeyed, she responded to Jesus. You know, friends, there are many good things we can do with our lives. But what is the one thing God is asking you to do? Do you know Him well enough to hear His voice? Do you know Him well enough to know what pleases Him and we are willing to respond? Because we just don't just want to do good things, we want to do God things. We want to know what God, to discern what He wants us to do and we want to respond. Why is it, Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, we will learn of what this woman has done. What did, what did Mary do? She anointed Jesus, right? Uh, who gets anointed in the Old Testament? Who do they anoint? High priests? The kings? Okay, to say that I anoint this person and they are set apart for God. And the smell, the aroma is like they are crowned. After they leave that place, you still can smell that person. Okay, and the scripture tells us in Psalms to the king, when that person becomes a king, says, you love righteousness, hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy. And every king, they will anoint. The word anointed, Mishiach, Messiah, translated to Greek is Christos. That's where we get the word Christ. So when they anointed Jesus, they, or rather this act of anointing the king, they were waiting for the ultimate person who will be anointed. That is Jesus. And so when Solomon became king, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, all these people, they brought Solomon riding on King David's mule. Right? Not a horse, a mule. Brought him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon and they blew the trumpet. All people say, long live King Solomon. You know, Jesus went through this too, right? When he went to Jerusalem. The next day, a crowd who had come to feast, when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees, went out to meet and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus finding a young donkey, a mule, set on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on donkey's coat. Zion is, of course, Jerusalem. It's exactly what Solomon, they did to Solomon, exactly what happens to a king. They anoint them, they ride the donkey into Jerusalem and people praise them. When did Jesus get anointed? The verses before, the night before in Bethany, right? Which means the rest of the week in Jerusalem, wherever Jesus went, they could smell the aroma. You know how the, the smell sticks? A few weeks ago, the pastoral team, we went to Langkawi for a retreat. Okay, and then this afternoon, there was a break. And after we came back, one person shared, oh, you know that Massage place across the street from a hotel. Uh, it's very good. Right, so we said, oh, really? So we went, went uh, a few of us went right and checked. When do they have open slots? And the next open slot they had was 11 o'clock at night. They closed at 1. I was thinking, what kind of shop is this, you know? Massage parlor closed so late. 
So I was a bit concerned, uh, but we were, there were a few of us and all of them were signing up. So my wife and I decided to sign, put our names, uh, then we'll come back at 11. But the rest of the afternoon, we were a bit concerned. I mean, the last time we had massage was 20 years ago, during our honeymoon, you know. And I didn't want to go, but since everybody was going, I said, okay, let's go and try. Okay, so at 11, we went, and it was really dark. And there was one person and the two of us, so we said, should we go in? And then the rest of them came, so okay, okay, we all went in, right? And then they brought us to this room. There were just several beds and curtains. And then there were a few men and women, and I thought, wow, what if later a lady come and massage me? Uh? I think if a lady comes, I say, no, no, I don't want that, I quickly go, okay? But thankfully, it was a guy, so he brought me into the, that bed, there were a few beds, and just pulled up the curtains. You know, which means that we can actually hear each other, you know? And then the guy said, take off your clothes. I was like, huh? What clothes? <laughs> Can I keep my shirt on, you know? Uh, but thankfully, I could actually keep my shorts on. So I laid down on the bed. Then he started massaging. Why? Well, when the first time I went, I was like, ah! Oh! I'm going to call mother. I said, like, ah, oh, God, or something. But I realized that if I make a sound, everybody else, all my colleagues can hear. So very paisay, right? It's like, ah! Oh! I tried to hold it back. Then I quickly just motioned to him, can you please soften, okay? And I regret that because when I softened, the rest of it, he was just tickling me for the next hour. <laughs> okay, finish. He said, okay, finish. I said, huh? Like that, lah. Then I have to pull on my shirt because we walk across the road, right? I went back to my room. The first thing I did, you know what? Take a shower. Because you're oily and, and there's smell. I don't like those smell, you know. I showered once, but I was still oily. Showered twice, it was still oily. Showered a third time and the smell was still there. But I cannot shower anymore. Want to, grow, want to save the world, right? Don't waste water. But I already scrubbed my skin so hard. So no choice, lah. I went to bed. The next morning, still have a bit of smell. You know, in the time of Jesus, they had no showers. And, and that, that perfume use is not like the massage, you know, like $30. That perfume is worth one year's salary. And so the smell stick with, stuck with Jesus for the rest of the week. Wherever he went in Jerusalem, he brought the aroma of the king. Which means a few days later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came to arrest him, in the darkness, they could smell him even before they saw him. To remind them that the person you are unjustly arresting is the one you have anointed and hailed Hosanna. When he stood before the, the high priest in the kangaroo trial in the middle of the night, they could smell him to remind them the person you're unjustly trying is the Messiah. The next morning when he was hung upon the cross, he was beaten, sweat, blood mixed with the fragrance. It was to remind the people, this is your king. And friends, this is the gospel. He was the one, the aroma that is set aside, but the one who sweat blood and tears for us. He's fully God, fully man. He was fully God, holy, divine, perfect, sinless. Therefore, He's able, He's qualified to die in our place, to take our sins upon Himself. No one else in history is able to do that. But at the same time, He's fully man. God was willing to come into creation to bear our sins, to suffer and die. And only He can take our sins because He understands as a human being. And that is why the Apostle Paul calls us the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ. He said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Manifest through us the sweet aroma of knowledge of Him in every place. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, aroma from life to life. 
wherever we go, we carry this fragrance, this smell, not our body odour or not the perfume we use, but the words we say, our attitudes to life, to the people around us, is an aroma. The question is, what kind of aroma do you give off? Why was Mary willing to break what was most precious for her? The Gospel of Luke gives us another story. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster veil of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of, the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, the person, the owner of the house, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Gave me no kiss, but, since, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Now, we're not sure if these two stories are the same stories. Okay, that one was Simon the leper, this was Simon the Pharisee. That was just before I entered Jerusalem. This seems like it's earlier on in Jesus' life. Or it could be the same story. Alright? Just this is recorded out of chronological order. Now, we don't know. But I think what this woman did, her motivation is instructive of why Mary was willing to break her precious bottle of ointment on Jesus. Why? Because of her sins, much sin was forgiven. You see, friends, if we believe where we are today, your status, your job, what you have, you earned it, you deserved it because you've been faithful at church, we will never be willing to pour it out on Jesus. If we still desire recognition from the world, applause, a comfortable life, we will never be willing to pour it out on Jesus. But let me remind you, what we keep, what is most precious to us and we keep in the bottle will remain in the bottle. But what is poured out on Jesus in a life unbottled will last into eternity. We respond out of gratitude. We respond because we understand the gospel. It's not something we needed 20 years ago when we accepted Christ. But every day of our lives when we follow Jesus, every day we need His grace. And so George Fowler, his life was to call people to make a radical commitment to Christ. But he lowered the threshold. He says, if you're not ready for long-term missions, go short-term. I know if you're sinful, you're struggling, it's okay, just turn to God. And he calls this messiology. Even if you're in a mess, you can turn to God. And perhaps this was born out of, out of his own life experience. In 2001, Christianity Today interviewed him. And he shared, he says, you know, I have always struggled with pornography. Uh, once I was walking in the, this forested area in London, and I saw this pornographic, pornographic magazine hanging from the tree. And there was a bullet hole in it. Someone had used it as a target board. And I wish I could say that I turned around and walked away. But the reality was I realized I was the target bot for Satan and I spent a long time in that forest. 
and only walking away much later in shame. I share this openly, but you know, some people do not like it. Some people do not like to know that their leaders struggle with sins. A lady told me that I was possessed by the evil one. Once when our ship sank, a man told me that was God's judgment for my sin. I think not. Yes, we do not want to sin because there are consequences. But God's grace is sufficient for us. When we turn to Him, when we confess our sins. So a victorious Christian life is not one that we do not sin or stumble or fall. Rather, it's one that we know whom we can turn to when we stumble and fall. Then he went on to share, it says, many years ago, we was giving out some tracks in front of a bar. There was a signboard, nude women. Before long, I found myself sitting in the back row of the bar. My pockets were full of tracks, but I was looking at women taking off their clothes. After a few minutes, I felt the Holy Spirit rebuke me. I stood up in shame and ran out of the bar into this phone booth, not to make a call, but to call out to God. I says, God, I'm so sorry. I've sinned. Forgive me. And while I don't feel that I can be forgiven, I take it by faith what your word has said, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He said, he spent a long time praying. Finally, he stepped out of the booth. He says, well, I believe God has forgiven me, but I felt that he could not use me. Satan was condemning me that God cannot use someone like me. At the time, a man, a stranger, walked up to me. I thought he was going to borrow money from me. But instead, he poured out his life to me, shared with me his struggles, and then he asked, is there anything I can do about it? And I looked at him and asked, do you really want to know? An hour later, the man knelt down and accepted Christ. And so, Fervor says, I believe God can use us. We who have Christ's eternal life need to throw away our lives. Why did He lead a poured out life? I will venture to say it's because of messiology. Because He understood the depravity of His sins. And friends, when we understand that, we will not hold back. What is the precious bottle of perfume for you? In this one life, what are you pursuing? What do you desire to get out of it? You know, this year, this half a year, I've been struggling a bit. I share with people openly that I'm going through some midlife transitions. Not midlife crisis yet. You know, you get to a certain point in life and all your hair is dropping out. Actually, my eyes, I can't see, I cannot read totally, you know, so everything is on PowerPoint. You feel here pain, there pain, then suddenly your friend got cancer and dies, you know. And you realize you have this one life, it's really mortal, you know. Many of the questions I thought I've answered in my 20s, I'm asking them again now. Is it worth following Jesus? These 20 years of serving, you know, if I had not done that, I did something else, maybe life would be different. Will God really come through when I need it, even though I've experienced 20 years of His grace? But thankfully, God is faithful while I am faithless. He continues to speak. And so not too long ago, during a pastoral retreat for the Baptist pastor and co-workers, someone shared these words from D.A. Carson, a well-known theologian. Carson wrote a book about his father, Tom Carson. He titled it, A Very Ordinary Pastor, His Father. And he, at the end of the book, he wrote this about his father. He says, Tom Carson 
never rose very far in denominational structures, but hundreds of people testify how much he loved them. He never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. Yesterday's grace was never enough. He was not a far-sighted visionary, but I looked forward to eternity. He was not a gifted administrator, but there's no text that says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you are good administrators. His journals have been many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition, but his children and his grandchildren remember his laughter. Only rarely did he break through his pattern of reserve and speak deeply and intimately with his children, but he modelled Christian virtues to them. He much preferred to avoid controversy than to stir things up, but his own commitments to historic confessionalism were unyielding, and in ethics, he was a man of principle. His own ecclesiastical circles were rather small and narrow, but his reading was correspondingly large and expensive. He was not very good at putting people down, except on his prayer list. When he died, there was no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on the television, no mention in parliament, no attention paid by the nation. But in his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dead, one entrance to the only throne room that matters, not because he was a good man or a great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. But because he was a forgiven man. He heard the voice of him whom he longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine? We pour what is most precious to us onto the Lord. And one day when we stand before Him and we hear Him say, well done. Let us pray.